You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 9. We're in a series entitled To Be Human. And to be human is to worship because God has created us to be a worshiper. Every single person in the room, no matter who you are, no matter how young or old you are today, you in fact are a worshiper. And there is someone or there is something in your heart that you have given your heart to. And that thing is what in fact is ruling you today. But no one can say that their heart is perfectly submitted to Jesus today. No one can say that. I can't say that. You can't say that either. And when you recognize those imperfections, it leads us to experience some guilt in our life. We feel guilty. Everyone senses guilt from time to time when we do certain things or we don't do certain things. Romans 1 teaches us that God has written upon every single person's heart, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, he has written upon our conscience this idea and this impression of what is right and what is wrong. And so when we do something that we feel is wrong, inevitably that's going to lead us to feelings of, of, of guilt. When we hurt someone, we see how it hurts them. And so it makes us kind of further uh, impresses us to feel those feelings of guilt in our life. Everybody has regrets. Nobody is perfect. We all make mistakes. We all stumble. We all fumble from time to time. We say foolish things. We make bad decisions. We waste time and we hurt other people. And so when that happens, we experience guilt. So the question is, what do you do with those guilty feelings, those bad feelings? Well, for some people, they just try to ignore those feelings. And man, it was just such a long time ago. I don't want to deal with it. I'll just stay busy so I don't have to think about those feelings. And I can kind of repress those feelings so we think. Some of us just try to minimize it and just say, ah, it's not that big a deal. I don't hardly remember it. I don't even want to think about it. So we just try to minimize it. Some of us just try to blame other people. Well, if so-and-so hadn't done this or done that, then I wouldn't have sinned. I wouldn't have done that or, or, or this. Sometimes we just beat ourselves up. And so that's many of you in the room, you probably just think, how stupid was I when I did that? How could I have been so dumb? And you over and over and over again blame yourself for whatever it was that you did. Beat yourself up. Some people just medicate their, their guilt. And so they drink alcohol, they take prescription drugs to kind of uh, suppress some of those feelings and try to numb the pain and numb those uh, emotions. Some of us just keep our mind occupied with TV and, and movies, and so we, we binge on Netflix and we watch whole seasons at a time, and, and we just kind of get lost in those stories so that we don't have to deal with any of those emotions in our life. But by far, the oldest form of dealing with regret, the, the most common way to rid our mind of guilt is, drum roll, religion. <laughs> religion. People have used religion uh, since the dawn of man to try to alleviate their guilt. And some of you are using church. You're using Christianity on Sunday mornings to try to alleviate the guilty feelings that you have in your life, and, and you come here today to, and, and solely just to kind of help you be a better person and, and try better next time. And my question for you is, how's that working for you? How's church working for you? Some of you would say, yeah, I feel good for a little while, and then all those feelings come back by Monday. 
Some of you would say, church doesn't work at all for me. I, I, I rarely come and I'm just kind of here today. Some of you have been playing the church game for a long time, and so you, you're, you're, you're using this and trying to fill those gaps in your life. You serve, you, you try to sing, you try to do some things in, it, in, in, in hopes that you're going to feel like a better person. Well, it's important for you to deal with the guilt that you experience today, because how you deal with your guilt will determine your worship of God. The universal problem of guilt is not just the problem of how you and I feel better about ourselves, but how that, how that guilt has put us at odds with God because we have sinned against him. And, and so how do we actually live in a right relationship with God? That's really the ultimate question there, because when we sin, we have regrets, that fills our minds, we have those feelings, but God never meant for you and I to carry around guilt in our life. So today, I want to show you how to overcome your guilt and worship God. How do you overcome your guilt and worship God? Because your guilt is killing your worship. It's hindering your worship today. In fact, because of your guilt, you might not even attempt to approach God today. I mean, your, your approach was just simply to attend, but there was no approach during the week. There was no approach really in our time here together some of you don't feel worthy enough to approach God. Some of you don't feel worthy or good enough, and you definitely don't approach God with confidence. And so I want to teach you, how do you approach God and overcome your guilt? Well, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, I want to share a, the, the first verse here that gets us going. And so verse 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace. We're going to talk about what the throne of grace is today. With confidence. So that we may receive mercy, find grace, and to help us in our time of need. So here's our approach to God. Here's how we approach the throne of grace. He says, with confidence. And when we do, we receive mercy. We receive help in our time of need. We receive his grace. And so it is your approach to God that matters. In sports, um, especially golf, it's the approach shot that's the most important shot. You know this. You can, you can tee off and you can hit it 350 yards down the center of you know, the fairway. But if your approach shot, your second shot is off, then it's off or not. It's that approach shot where you're trying to hit it onto the green and get it close to the cup so that you can get a par or perhaps a birdie. It's your approach in marriage that, that matters. If your wife offends you, your husband offends you, and your approach is to scream and to yell and to get angry, well... That approach isn't going to bring healing in your marriage. But if your approach is in love and respect, you've got a, a better chance of, of having a, a good relationship and restoring relationship there. And so if your approach to God is wrong, it's not just that your worship is hindered, it's that it is non-existent. If your approach to God is, is, is wrong, then you are in fact dishonoring God and you're hurting yourself. So your approach matters. Last week we talked about in Exodus 32 that Moses goes to the top of the mountain to meet with God and to get his instructions for the people of God. And God in fact speaks to him. He gets the Ten Commandments. He gets what we know to be the law of Moses. Uh, this is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, that where God teaches the law of Moses. And, and all of these uh, commandments really sum up what is called the first covenant. 
The covenant that God makes with the people of God, this, this is a promise that God makes with them. And in it, he gives them a lot of rules. He gives them a lot of regulations. And he really just shows them how to approach him and, and how to worship him. But we're going to see today that this system was not complete. Stay with me, because I know you guys want to know how to overcome your guilt. But if you have your Bibles open, flip over to chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. So the, the first covenant, the way in which the Hebrew people approached God was a shadow, and it was predicting, and it was kind of symbolizing that something real, something eternal was coming. It was, it was only temporary. And so as we think through this lens, we're, we call this the first covenant. You might call it the old covenant. But this is the promise that God made to his people, how to worship him, how to approach him, what was right. And then we're going to flip it around and see how Jesus changed everything. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Just flip back over. Chapter 9, verse 1. He says, now even the first covenant, this is what God gave to Moses had regulations for worship. In other words, here's how you worship God appropriately. We've talked about this in this series. There's a right way to worship God. There's a wrong way to worship him. And he says, in an earthly place of holiness. So in the first covenant, there was an earthly place where God physically dwelt. This was the tabernacle. It says here in verse two, for a tent. And so in the tent, that just simply means a tabernacle. When they were in the wilderness, they actually had a tent. But when they took the promised land, Solomon built the temple. And it was the same structure. It was built and, and had the same functionality here. And in this first covenant, there were offerings to be made. There were sacrifices to be made. There were ceremonial washings that they had to do to be pure. There was, there was uh, do's and don'ts to this law that they had to follow. There were seven major feasts that the people uh, we're told to celebrate. And at this feast, it was a huge party. They sang songs. They ate good food. They made sacrifices. They made offerings. They read the word. They prayed together. They laughed. They, they enjoyed fellowship together. And so they enjoyed that time. These were all commanded by God to bring an offering and to, to worship him. Verse 2, for, for a tent was prepared, and in the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of uh, presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak in detail. So, so essentially what he's saying here is he's replaying what the tabernacle really did and, and how they came to the tabernacle to actually worship God. And he says in the outer room, in the holy room, there was a lampstand and that lampstand uh, gave uh, light. It was lit by olive oil and it was lit 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the entire year this lampstand was lit. In that room was also a table and on that table was the bread of the pre presence and that was simply uh, 12 loaves of bread that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And then next from that room, there was an inner room and there was a a large veil, a curtain, so to speak, that separated the holy place to the most holy place, the holy of holies. And inside the holy of holies, God's presence was, was there. And inside that, you see, or you, you, we, we read that the Ark of the Covenant was in there, and the mercy seat was in there. What, what exactly is that? Well, on the Day of Atonement, this was every year, the high priest would wear white clothes. He would lay his hands upon a bull, symbolizing his sin and his family's sin upon uh, being transferred upon that animal, and they would sacrifice that animal. Then he would put his hands upon a goat, and that would be representing the sins of the people being laid upon the goat, and they would sacrifice that goat. And that high priest, once a year, he would take that blood, he would go into the Holy of Holies. He was to go into the Holy of Holies one time a year, and he would sprinkle that blood upon the mercy seat. And that was how the the, the people's sins were forgiven, and that was how the relationship and worship of God was restored. And that lasted for one year. And so every year they would have to go back in and they would have to do the sacrifice again and sprinkle the blood again. And so no one had direct access to the presence of God. Only the priest could could experience that and he could only experience that once a year. So no direct access to God. The priest had to be used in order for the people to experience forgiveness. That was the old system. Now, look at verse 6. These preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, into the first holy place, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that, listen, that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, this system, this this arrangement of worship, this system of worship, gifts, sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Now, let me unpack this for us. In verse 6, the regular functions of the priest, the ritual duties. What, what are these? Well, the priests were extremely busy all the time. They were, it was like an ongoing church service every single day. There was activity in the tabernacle. Uh, it never stopped. And so people were always flooding the tabernacle, trying to connect with God, trying to find peace, offering sacrifices, uh, talking with priests, trying to deal with their guilt, trying to deal with their problems. Because sin has a way of weighing our conscience down. It just weighs on us, and we feel helpless and hopeless. And so people would go to the tabernacle to find hope. And the priests were always working. Now last weekend was tax-free weekend. How many of you went to Walmart on Alcoa Highway during tax-free weekend? Crazy people, raise your hands. Nobody wants to admit it, right? If you drove by that place on tax-free weekend, it was slammed. Now think about the tabernacle, just like you would think about tax-free weekend at Walmart last weekend. That's how busy it was. People coming and going constantly. You know, they would, getting a pigeon, taking a goat, sacrificing for their sin, bringing a, a sin offering, a grain offering. Why? 
My conscience is heavy. I have, I, I have guilt on my heart. I need to deal with this guilt. I need to get rid of this, and I need to restore my relationship with God. But in verse 8 and 9, it says that by doing this, it cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. That system was a shadow. It was not final. So back to the question, how do you deal with your guilt? How do you deal with your guilt? Well, we've all done something wrong. We've offended someone. We've hurt someone. We've broken God's word. We feel bad, and instinctually, we want to make up for that. And so maybe you apologize to that person, or maybe you try to go out of your way to help them, and and by helping them, it makes you feel better about yourself. Well, under the old covenant, this picture is that people were coming to this temple, to the tabernacle, bringing gifts, bringing offerings, bringing sacrifices in hopes that they would have a guilt-free conscience, but it would not work. Verse 10 tells us the offerings won't work because they only pertain to food and drink and ceremonial washings. In other words, the problem is that he's saying could, you could come to the tabernacle, you could make an offering, you could give, and you could try to ease your conscience, but the system was built on the outward man and what we do and not upon the inner man. In other words, they would do these external acts of worship, but nothing would change. And nothing will change until you make a connection with God in and through your heart. God is concerned with your heart. And so a man would come to the tabernacle. He'd be feeling guilty. And uh, he'd need some help. And so he'd come and he would tell the priest, this is what I'm dealing with. And uh, he would say, okay, well, let's look at the law. And he would show him in the book, here's what it says, and here's how you are to go and to act. And he would say, great, and he would leave knowing how to act, but he would not have the power to actually live the life that the word there told him to live. He didn't have the power. Couldn't, couldn't overcome that guilt. The system was flawed, and that man would go to the temple. He would go to the tabernacle, and he would... In his heart, he knew that he blew it. I know that I've messed up. I I know that there's sin. And so he would go to the temple, and he would tell the priest, I blew it. And the priest would look at the word, and he would say, yeah, you blew it. He was like, yeah, I know I blew it. What do I do? We'll go offer a goat, sacrifice the goat. I did sacrifice the goat. Oh, well, then you're good. And he would go, oh, okay, sweet. But he would leave the tabernacle feeling just as guilty, if not more so, when he left. Now think about this. Some of you have this experience. You had some hopelessness. You were feeling guilty. You had some kind of stress in your life. You had stuff going on and your heart was just kind of, it, it, it was just kind of wrestling with something. And you thought, you know what? I just need to go to church. I need to go to church and I, I just need to experience, you know, God. And so you, you came into church with a heavy conscience and you went to whatever church it was and, and uh, you, you were feeling like a terrible person. And then the sermon started, and, and, and the sermon basically was, you're a terrible person. And you were like, yeah, I already knew that. <laughs> and so you, you, you experience this guilt walking into the service, and then inside the service, you experience more of, yeah, I know I'm terrible. And so you left with a heavier conscience than you actually walked in with. Like, man, I messed up. You messed up, you messed up. I know I messed up. And you walk out thinking, I'm a terrible person. Maybe you have that story. The problem with the old system and the tabernacle is that people would walk in wanting to cleanse their guilty conscience. They would make an offering. They would make a sacrifice. 
but they would leave feeling just as broken as they did when they walked in. That system doesn't work. That's why it was a shadow. But listen, if you're coming to worship today with a heavy burden, and you want that burden to be relieved, but you come to this environment to make an offering just to look the part, just to sing a song, just to relieve your guilt, just to be present, it won't make you feel any better about yourself. If you're here and you don't seek to connect your heart to God, it won't make you feel or do any better. It will not work. That's why some of you have told others, church doesn't work for me. That system didn't work for the Hebrew people. It won't work for you today. That's why God created a new system. But some of you still go back to the tabernacle. You still go back to the tabernacle to make a sacrifice, to give, to serve, to do something to alleviate your guilt try to clear that conscience, but it doesn't work. It may work for a day, but ultimately when you lay your head down at night, you still feel that guilt. You still feel that overwhelming burden on your heart. Verse 9 says the main problem is that they elevated a symbol to the sacred. We do that in church all the time. God teaches them that the symbol isn't the point. What's underneath the symbol is the point. You're making the symbol sacred, and the symbol isn't sacred. The tabernacle, the law, the sacrificial system, they elevated that system, and they made it sacred. So that now the whole point of coming to the tabernacle was just to offer a dove, was just to offer a grain offering, was just to eat, was just to sing songs, was just to go because it was a box to check. They elevated the symbol, and they made it sacred. It's what churches do constantly when we elevate a method to reach people or to help people grow to the sacred, like some churches would elevate uh, Sunday school as sacred and so they would never change. Or, or maybe in our context, we might elevate this room as sacred, like God's presence is here and this is a holy place or whatever. And we would elevate what is a symbol to what is sacred. The point of the sacrificial system as in the main point that God wanted them to experience and to see was the seriousness of sin and their need for God's forgiveness. But they didn't focus on that. Instead, they just focused on all the boxes they had to check, the sacrifices or the offerings that God told them to bring. And I wonder if some of us today are doing the same thing, just checking the box of worship, and that's why you leave still feeling guilty, still feeling hopeless, still no power in your life, still with the same problems in your marriage over and over and over again. Why? Because you aren't making a heart connection with God. God is concerned with your heart. He wants you to make a heart connection. Let's look at a few passages to kind of sink this in. If you've got your Bibles, go to Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. Here's what David says to God. He says, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. In other words, God will not despise a broken and contrite heart. He does not delight in sacrifices. Now think about it. He's talking about the sacrificial system, the way in which they were told to worship God in the tabernacle. He's talking about the law, and what he's saying is, God, you don't need a goat. You don't need a cow. I don't need to offer you a ribeye steak as if you need that. 
God, God doesn't need anything from us. He's trying to get them to understand that their sin is so wicked in front of God that something must die. That's the point. God wants them to visually see how horrific sin is. Visually, he wants them to reach that, that, that point of just how vivid sin is, and, and he wants them to reach a point of brokenness, to recognize their sin. We don't, we don't make sacrifices because God needs anything. We make sacrifices because we need God to show us how much we need him. Look at Isaiah 29, verse 13. It says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. What's he saying here? Well, these people came to worship, but not because they know God or they're connecting with the heart of God, but because some man told them that they needed to go to the tabernacle. They needed to go there. They needed to congregate. And God says, with their lips, they say the right things and they might sing the right songs. And when someone comes to them with a problem, they may have some godly advice for them. They might even tell them the right things. Well, you need to pray about it. No, I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I'll even pray with you. They can do all of this. But God says, I'm not pleased with them because their heart is still far from me. If you were honest today, would God say that your heart is far from him today? Flip over to Amos chapter 5. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're not going to be able to find Amos. Uh, It'll be on the screen. Verse 21. Listen to this. Look at this. I hate, God says. Go home and do a word search to see how many times God says, I hate something. It, it's not very often. And so when he says it, we need to like hone in on it because it's super serious. He says, I hate. I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Wait a minute. He told us in the first covenant that you're supposed to come to the tabernacle, to congregate, hear, hear the law of Moses read and taught and, and bring your offering and bring your sacrifice. And to the seven different festivals, you're supposed to bring your offering and you're supposed to eat. You're supposed to gather and sing. He told us this is how we're supposed to worship him. And God says, I hate it when you do that. I despise it when you bring that. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing streams. Do you understand that God hates outward acts of worship? that are not connecting our heart to his heart. God is angry. He despises this. He says, I hate your worship when you do this. He's saying you've elevated what is symbolic to sacred, and you've missed the entire point of why we approach God in worship. It's not about the festivals. It's not about the sacrifices. It's not about gathering together. He doesn't need us to kill any animals. I don't want you to just show up on Sundays and sing. I don't want you to just give some money to church. I want you to know me. And I want you to know the deeper realities of me. And when you give to know him, he delights in that. And when you sing to know him, he delights in that. 
And when you gather at home alone with the word of God for the purpose of connecting your heart to his heart, he delights in that worship. But if our hearts are not connected, he despises it. What if God stood before you today and said, really hated your worship today? I really despised it. Because you've elevated what is symbolic and you've made it sacred. You made the offering that we gave a little bit ago. You, you, you use that to alleviate your guilt instead of using it to connect your heart to me. When the songs were sung, you didn't sing. When the songs were sung, you moved your mouth to the words, but you weren't thinking about me. You weren't connecting your heart to me, and I really hated it. And that's a shame because it was a great song. And it means so much to me when my people delight in that truth and connect to my heart when they sing it. Back to Hebrews 9, verse 11. Let's keep going. There's hope coming. Circle that word reformation in verse 10. The reformation has come. Praise God. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, so the good things have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered, who Jesus entered once for all. Every year they had to make the sacrifice. Every week they were making sacrifices. But he says once for all, this sacrifice was made in the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Underline this in your Bible. Thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Here's the new system. The reformation has taken place. The shadow is gone. The real system is now in place. Here's how we approach God today. Here's how we draw near to him. Here's how we overcome our guilt. Jesus fulfills the first covenant. So remember, the lampstand, the bread of the presence, the veil, the holy of holies. This is how they interacted in the old covenant. Jesus comes onto the scene, and, and this candle, this, this, this light that was lit 24 hours a day in this holy room with no windows. So it was the only light in that room. Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, what? I'm the light of the world. My light will never go out. The 12 loaves of bread that represented the 12 tribes. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, I come and I'm the bread of life. Jesus dies on the cross. And if you remember what the gospel teach, and, and, and the earthquake came and the veil was torn. In other words, this, this visible sign that you cannot step into the throne room of grace. You cannot connect to the presence of God. Only the priest can once a year. When Jesus died, the veil was torn in two. 
ushering in a brand new system and way for you and I to approach God and alleviate our guilt and to make a right relationship with him whole again. It's through Jesus. The veil was torn. We didn't have direct access, but through Jesus, we have direct access now. We can now walk into the throne room of grace. How? Through Jesus. You see, the only way that you can approach God is through Jesus. There's not another religion that can bring you to God. There's not, a, there's not a good act of service. There's not an amount of money. There's not living a good life that can approach your life to God. It is only through Jesus that we can approach God. And it's only through him that we can, in fact, worship him. And so people wanted to worship God. They wanted to please God. They wanted to approach God. They wanted to keep coming back to the tabernacle to do all these religious activities and rituals all in order to please God, to worship him, all in order to try to get in good with God, to alleviate that guilt. And the scripture says that now Christ has come and through him and only through his blood is our conscience made clean. So here we go, practical stuff. The answer to how do we overcome our guilt? Number one, admit your guilt to God. Admit your guilt to God. David says in Psalm 51, 3, I recognize my faults. I'm conscious of my sins. Have you admitted that you're a sinner? Have you admitted to God that you have wronged him? Have you admitted that you have disgraced him? Have you admitted that you are a sinner through and through? Some of you are Christians, and, and, and my, my, um, my challenge for you is, are you in the practice of admitting your failures? It's one thing to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, admit you're a sinner, receive his forgiveness, but then there's a journey left of, of, of sanctification, of growing closer to God. And as we offend people, as we offend God, are you in the practice of saying, God, I failed you. God, I, I messed up. We have to admit we have to agree with God that we have, in fact, sinned against him. And then secondly, we accept God's forgiveness. Romans 8, 1 says, that now there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, we look to the scripture. Look at verse 22, chapter 9 still. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And listen to this, underline this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why we say the approach is through Jesus. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no forgiveness. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no conscience relieved. There is is no hope. There is no freedom. There is no heaven. There is nothing in you that is good without the blood of Jesus that he poured out for you, for me. Flip over now to verse 26, verse B. That's the, that means the second half of verse 26. It says, he has appeared once for all, once for all at the end of the ages. Why? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So the second time that Jesus comes, it's not to offer you and I forgiveness. It's to save those who have already received his forgiveness. So my question is, have you accepted his forgiveness? Have you admitted your guilt? Have you received his forgiveness? Do it before it's too late. And then thirdly, forgive yourself and focus on the future. 
Forgive yourself and focus on the future. This is sometimes the hardest one to do for some of you. To forgive yourself, receive his forgiveness, forgive yourself, focus on the future. Isaiah 43 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. So for the non-Christian in the room, the first step for you to have your conscience completely cleaned and a relationship with God to connect your heart to him would be to admit you're a sinner, receive his forgiveness today. That's step one. If you've never done that, I hope you do that today. If you are a Christian and you're still dealing with guilt and you're still coming to the tabernacle to check boxes to get in good with God, and you're still experiencing this weight of guilt and, and, and weight of things that you have done in your former life or in your past, then we would say, all right, here's where it is. It's like, believe that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that what he says is true. And you forgive yourself. You, you allow yourself to release that, to let it go. Here's an example of how we would do that. At night, you're laying down, your head hits the pillow, it's quiet, and the enemy starts accusing you. You're an idiot. You didn't pray enough. You didn't sing loud enough. You don't do it right. You're a terrible husband. You're a terrible father. All these accusations, all these accusations are coming. And then what do you do? You start saying, "Ah, I know, I'm terrible. I'm an idiot. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. In fact, I'm going to go to church this Sunday. I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to give. I'm going to bring a goat. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to sing this time. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to get in a small group because I'm going to bring a grain offering, and I'm going to serve as a greeter. I'm going to do better. You go back to the old system. You go back to the tabernacle. You go back to the old way of restoring uh, heart, you, you go back to the old way of how we thought our, our conscience was going to be clean. Don't go back to the tabernacle. Verse 8 says the only way into the holy place, the only place, the only way to go into this holy place, that place where you connect with Jesus in a real and deep way, you will never know the fullness of life in Jesus, the victory and freedom of Jesus, until you stop trying to fix yourself. He's saying, until you get that, you can't do anything good for me. You've got nothing to offer. There's no freedom for you. Until you understand that you have nothing of value to offer God, you will never understand his grace and mercy. You and I have nothing to offer him. Zero. So how does Jesus cleanse our guilt? How does he cleanse our guilty conscience? When the accuser starts to condemn the inner man. It's not to go back to the tabernacle and work on the outer part, make me look better, look the part, check the box, sing the song, do the whatever. It's not going to work. It works like this. You're driving in the car. You're alone. This is where it happens to me. I'm alone. There's no radio. There's nothing going on. And the enemy starts to accuse me. You're an idiot. I can't believe you didn't do it right. You're not a good leader. You struggle with the same thing every week. God is so disappointed in you. You stink, literally. You're lazy. You could have worked harder. You're weak. You know what I do? I say, you're right. You're right. I am lazy. I am weak. I, 
I am a terrible person. Thank God for Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to agree with him. I'm going to agree with the fact that I can't live up to his standards. I'm going to agree with the fact that that I am weak, that, that I'm never going to get it right, that, that I'm always going to fail. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with him, and I'm going to say, but it's the grace of Jesus Christ that has set me free. There's no condemnation for me anymore. That's the old trend. That's the old me. Now I'm walking in a brand new life. I'm allowing Jesus to cleanse my conscience. I'm not going to work harder to get it cleansed because that's not going to work. There's not a sacrifice I can make. There's not an act I can do to get it. So I'm going to agree with the fact that, yes, I'm a terrible person, but thank God for Jesus. He loves me. His grace sets me free, makes me a new person, gives me power to overcome what I struggle with today. And one day, one day I will see his face, and he will 100%, no doubt about it, free me of all my struggles and all my pain and all my suffering. Yeah, I'm going to agree because I've been saved by the grace of God, by faith alone. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even do anything to get that faith. He's the one that gave me that faith. And it's because he gave me that faith that I understand who he is. And, and now my sin has been, been cleansed by his blood. And, and now I can walk in freedom and I can begin to learn what that means. I don't have to be you know, held under this huge weight of guilt. No, he's forgiven me. Now I'm walking in that. Yeah, I can admit that. I can, I can admit that I am terrible. I'm not worthy. That's why I thank God. That's why I praise Jesus. That's why I want to make a heart connection with him every day. That's why when I come into this place, when I sing, when I give, when I serve, every day when I open up the word of God and, and I begin to make that connection with him, it's because I have this utter understanding that I am a terrible person, that I am in need of God's grace every single second of the day. And it draws me into a longing and it draws me into a power that as I taste it, I want more and more and more of it. Don't go back to the temple. You still struggling with your guilt? You think you're going to overcome that by being here today? Not necessarily. Because you serve, because you give. Don't go back to the tabernacle and try to check the box. That system is over. You need Jesus to cleanse you. And what cleanses our conscience is not what we've done better, but what Christ did on the cross. That's what cleanses your conscience. So yes, sing. Yes, serve. Yes, give. Yes, run recklessly and abandon, abandon all of yourself to him because it is his breath that is within your very lungs. He gave that breath to you. So every time I breathe, every time I sing and I'm taking that breath, I want to pour out my praise to him. I want to pour out my praise, and I want these dead bones to, to sing praise to him. I want my heart to cry out to him. I want these bones to sing to him that he is great, that he is Lord, that I am not worthy, but he has saved me, and it's through his blood that my conscience is cleaned. And I'm in the practice of admitting my sin. I'm in the practice of receiving his forgiveness. And I'm in the practice of forgiving myself and focusing on the future. My old self is not going to to hold me back from what the new self is required to do. And so we pour out our praise every single day, all of my heart, 
to all of him. Would you bow your heads? I wonder in this room if God is convicting anyone today saying, you know what? You, you have not been connecting your heart to the heart of God in worship. Nobody looking around. How many of you guys would raise your hand and just say, God's convicted me that that's where I'm at? Anybody at all? My heart has not been connecting with God. I see hands in the back. Every, anybody else up front, all over? Anyone else? This as a, as a sign to God. My heart is not connecting God. I admit that to you. I see hands. Would anyone say, Trent, my issue is that I, have, I haven't never given my life to Jesus. And I need to make that step. I need, I need to acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I need to receive his forgiveness. I've never done that. I want to help you make that step today. Just simply say this to God. Just simply say this to your heart, to his heart. Say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. It's his blood that forgives me. It's his sacrifice that saves me. I receive his forgiveness today. I give him authority of my life. And I want to serve him and follow him from this day forward. And I believe if that heart connection has been made today and you, you prayed that prayer, believe that God saving you right now. The Holy Spirit of God is coming into your life. And before you leave today, I want to encourage you to to go to our care and prayer room. Perhaps find somebody with a light blue t-shirt on today. Those are our section leaders. And just say, man, I prayed to receive Christ. Go to the care and prayer room and say, I I prayed to receive Christ. Maybe take the bottom portion of your service guide. And there's there's a little box there that says, I prayed to receive Christ. Check that box. Put that in to the offering baskets or into the giving stations. Take it to the care and prayer room. It'll get to me. Our staff will pray for you this week. The only approach to God is through Jesus. Heavenly Father, we want to stand and worship you today. And we want to be mindful to take our heart and connect our heart to your heart. And we want this to be authentic and real. Father, we want to begin to move away from the old system that we continue to come back to. We want to live under the new covenant and act and worship under the new covenant. And so we pray this, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to worship today. Next Sunday, I'm going to tell you how to have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. So I pray that as we worship today, we'll even prepare our hearts for what God's going to do next Sunday. Let's worship together. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.